take you on an epic journey through every single Charlize Theron movie that we are lucky enough on this earth to have. And by we, I mean myself, Regina Connolly, my co-host Robin Elaine Hitchcock. Hello. And Bob Shields. Hi. And today we are reviewing Cider House Rules. The, the Cider House I wasn't House sure rules. and I was like, <laughs> okay. And I need to say before we say anything else that when this movie was popular, my dad asked, does it mean the Cider House Regulations or the Cider House Dominates? <laughs> it's the first one, but wouldn't it be better if it were the second one? So I never understood what the movie title meant, and I actively avoided this because, full disclosure, this is the type of movie I would never watch except for I'm doing a podcast about it. And then in the movie, at some point, the Cider House rules show up, and it took me a solid two scenes, and I was like, oh, that's why it's called that. <laughs> Yeah, I remember when this came out, because it came out in 1999, right around the time when I was starting to get into movies. And I really liked movies like American Beauty and like The Shawshank Redemption and things like this, which I, in my mind, this movie was similar to. But for some reason, at the particular time that this came out, I saw the title and I saw the poster, maybe a few screenshots from it. And I'm just like, nope, 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 nope the fuck out of that. So I saw this movie when it came out because it was a strong Oscar contender. It won two Oscars. It, it did. Two big ones. And basically, I went back and checked. I had remembered that it was like neck and neck with American Beauty for Best Picture that year. Which, really? looking back, is absurd. Right. Because I think like some people sort of malign American Beauty these days. I think it holds up. I love that movie. I think it's great, yeah. But I remember seeing this movie and very much watching it through the lens of... Miramax is doing a strong campaign for this. Is it better than American Beauty? It is not. Nope. So <laughs> let's do our one sound review. <laughs> I, I struggled to sum this up in one sound, I think. It's mostly just kind of like, ah, okay. Mine is, oh, hmm. Mine is, ugh. Because I actively dislike this movie a lot. <laughs> I think it is okay. But it does not do what it sets out to do no. at all. Can I break tradition for a second? Yeah. I know we always do an Ebert or Mebert, so I didn't read the Roger Ebert review so yes. that I could play. But I did want to read other reviews because it, it still has like a high rating. It's, it's mm -hmm. well regarded. And I thought that The Guardian had a delightful <laughs> review of it. And this is by Peter Bradshaw and his opening sentence is, the Cider House Rules is a very odd, glutinous, sentimental drama, <laughs> like an episode of The Waltons about incest, race, and abortion. <laughs> okay, that is amazing. Colin watched it with me, much to his chagrin, and when it was starting, he said, what is this about? And I said, abortion. And he said, no, really, what is this about? And I was like, it's really about abortion. And then it started, and he's like, I think this is about an orphanage. And I'm like, just you wait, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> so a quick plot summary. Sure. If that's all right. Sure. So essentially, the movie opens with Michael Caine doing 
Mwah, a beautiful American accent. <laughs> and I say that... To be fair, he's in New England. Uh, no, no. kind of sound like that. I am not being sarcastic. Okay. And part of the reason... I think one of the movie's only saving graces for me at all is that Michael Caine says priority the way I say it. And that, I don't think, is a normal American way to say it. That way, just now? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I think most people say priority, and yeah. I say priority, and that is how Michael Caine said it. And I, I was like, look, he's not being British. Anyway. He still remained quintessentially Michael Caine-ish, though. He was definitely recognizable as yes. himself. Oh, yes. Yeah. So the movie starts, and essentially there's an orphanage in Maine, and Michael Caine is the doctor, and he performs births and abortions, even though abortion is illegal, and he's decided that one orphan of all the orphans will be his surrogate son, and that is Homer Wells, played by Toby Toby Maguire. And Toby Maguire's like, I don't like that you perform abortions. And as his surrogate son, he's been trained in birth and abortion by the doctor and is doing that for the women who come. And then surreptitiously one day he decides to get in a car with a stranger and then go work for that stranger's family. And that stranger is Paul Rudd. And looking it, exactly the same as he does yep. in 2017. As <laughs> so, Ant-Man comes yeah. to collect <laughs> over Wells. Because his girlfriend, Candy, played by our uh, woman... I don't know how to say that. <laughs> By Charlize Theron. By Charlize Theron. I wanted to say it in a cute way, but I failed. Anyway, she's having an abortion, and uh, then they all go back to another area of Maine together, and Homer starts picking apples as the only white employee of Paul Rudd's family apple orchard. And then Paul Rudd goes off to war. He and Charlize Theron start boning. Uh, Not Paul Rudd and Charlize Theron. They are already boning and right. conceived a child. They got aborted. Toby Maguire starts to bone Charlize Theron. In Paul Rudd's absence as he flies in World War II? World War II. Correct. Then an incest subplot comes out of nowhere. Because it's a John Irving book. Correct. And then at the end, Charlize Theron decides to stay with Paul Rudd, who's now been crippled. And ultimately, uh, Homer Wells decides that the best life is to do exactly what he's done in his childhood. He returns to the orphanage, but Michael Caine has died of an ether overdose. And then we just see him steepling his finger at a desk to relive the story as it began, presumably. Yep. Ugh. All right. I hate this movie. Can we get Ebert and Mebert out of the way? Yes. Yes. All right. Well, no, no, no. We're not getting out of the way. Can we delight in Ebert or Mebert now? (laughs) Yes, we can. Okay. Dr. Larch will perform abortions without question, but Homer believes the procedure is morally wrong unless the circumstances, in this case incest, or the beauty of the recipient, Charlize Theron's candy, excuse it. I'm going to give it an Ebert. Uh, I think that's a Mebert. It was a Mebert. Oh. I'm batting a thousand on the Eberts You really are. I just always believe in him. You should continue to believe in him because he gave it a two-star review and he basically was like, this movie is shit and (laughs) it does not have a clear stance on abortion or anything else no this movie like it feels very moralistic but it has no ultimate outcome on what the morality for any of the characters actually is so my take is that what they're trying to do is make a movie about moral ambiguity and there's that whole very ham-fisted scene where they read the Cider House rules. Ugh. The Cider House is where the employees of Paul Rudd's family all live. The migrant they're, again, farmers. They're all black except for Toby Maguire. And most of them can't read. So they don't know what the Cider House rules are. They're just there. And one day Toby Maguire reads them. It's not just one day. It's immediately after performing an abortion <laughs> on Rose Rose's incest baby while everyone casually sits in the other room and waits for that to end. So... The Cider House rules are meaningless, and no one has ever followed them, and 
very ham-fistedly, Delroy Lindo, who is the incest rapist, is like, yeah, just like your morals that say I can't rape my daughter. Yeah, like, they're like, (laughs) please burn them the way you burned aborted fetuses at the beginning of the movie, and you'll see that your moral stances can't stand up to the flames of the exposed outside world. And I was like, will you? It really, it sort of is like, Tobey Maguire, you're having an affair with a woman who's spoken for, and you've performed an abortion. You can't judge me for raping my daughter. Right. And they're sort of like, okay, so society's rules can't be lived by. You have to make up your own moral code. Like Dr. Larch executing fraud and saying that you've graduated from medical school and you haven't, but you're still going to end your life as a doctor by fakery. Yeah. And also the movie seemed way more concerned with the rapist father's feelings about everything. Than Rose Rose, the rape victim. Yeah, I think generally, like, my big problem with the movie is it is the tale of one man's journey to deciding that abortion is alright. And frankly, (laughs) like, maybe that's a story that needs to be told, but I have no interest in a dude's decision that he's comfortable with abortion. The movie spends zero time with any of the women who have abortions, other than a close-up on their face looking kind of sad when it ends. Well, Charlize Theron. They spend some time with her. But not, like, her feelings about it. It's just like, oh, she looks a little sad, and then we follow Paul Rudd as he goes outside and feels some feelings about having impregnated this lady. Yeah. Like, that's all that they do. And when Rose Rose is getting her abortion, we follow her rapist father out into the rain as he shakes his fist at the sky. And I I was like, I don't don't care. I have no sympathy for you, rapist father. I'm uninterested. (laughs) I will say that the reason that I wrote my Mebert that way is that I found it absurd how much they dig in at the beginning, Homer doesn't like abortions, and then has no feelings whatsoever about Charlize Theron getting one, Mm -hmm. electively, which she is absolutely within her rights to do in the real world, but wouldn't this judgy Judge Judgerson not then fall in love with her without questioning it? Well... He does fall in love with her based on some very thin premises as well. It's like, she's beautiful and she's there. And she falls in love with him. And she's naked are the two things. Yes. She falls in love with him because he is there, but they make that quite explicit. She says, I'm not good at being alone. Many times. Those are her two character traits. is She needs a man and she looks good naked. She looks good in clothes, too. She has very cute outfits. And oh my goodness, the little braided pigtails. (laughs) No one should look that good in dungarees that large. And yet she does. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like their relationship is encapsulated in a moment where... So he is, like, working on the farm, and Paul Rudd is off at war, and she's, like, generally showing him the world because he grew up in an orphanage disconnected from everything else. And so at some point she's like, let's go to the movies, because he's never seen a movie other than King Kong. And when they leave the movie, she's like, oh, wasn't that great? Look, I a new experience. What a beautiful movie. And his response is, eh, I like King Kong better. And it's like, that's the whole movie. It's like, here's the whole world that you could experience and interact with. And he's like, mm, I'm going to do exactly what I wanted to do from the very beginning. Well, that's the thing what I'm happens familiar at with. the end. Yes. Yeah. Right. This is based on a John Irving book. And book. I don't know if you've ever read any of his books. I have only read World According to Garp. But they're all kind of like this is my general understanding. They often involve incest. And it's just like... The world is a complicated and terrible place, seems to be his general theme. Mm-hmm. But this is a surprisingly, like, blandly lighthearted movie for that. Yes. yes. Like, what? some really terrible things happen. Rape and incest and tragic death. Paul Rudd being paralyzed. A bunch of abandoned children. Yeah. Uh, a sickly child in a garment bag. 
Right. <laughs> and then go listen to the soundtrack for this movie, <laughs> which they literally use for the Michigan State tourism ads. Oh my gosh. <laughs> like, it sounds like, ah, yes, a beautiful orchard. <laughs> yeah, well, this movie has the same problems that the Italian job has, which is what, it's this other connection to the Italian job other than Michael Caine, uh, is that it has all this terrible stuff going on. But does not, like, everyone is reacting very passively and calmly to it, or mostly ignoring it. So, like, you know, like you mentioned, Edward Norton gets pulled apart by machines at the end by the Ukrainian mob. But it was like, well, let's go have champagne. Mm -hmm. This one is the same (laughs) deal. Whereas, like, terrible, awful things are going on, and the world is a horrible place. But it was like, oh, yeah, let's have a snowball fight. This is heartwarming. Yeah. Yeah. And Tobey Maguire is incredibly flat. And they have a scene where he tells Paul Rudd, I have a heart condition. And so I've like trained myself not to have emotions. I don't let myself get too upset. Mm-hmm. As it turns out, the heart condition was made up by Dr. Larch to keep him out of the war. Mm-hmm. Because Dr. Larch does a lot of lying. <laughs> yeah, so he's, he's a fraudster. Been, yeah. <laughs> but Colin's theory about that was that they edited that in. <laughs> <laughs> Toby Maguire gives this incredibly flat performance, and then John Irving on set is like, I gotta justify this somehow. <laughs> Let's shoehorn that in. Well, I was gonna say, so I think, I do think that Michael Caine is very good in this. He's yes. not in the movie a ton, but I think he is one of the only characters that has emotional reactions to things, that has investment in other yep. characters. He has a reason for doing the things that he's doing. And the only other performance in this, I apologize, Charlize, for saying this, that I think is good, is Sulky Culkin. Uh, oh, Kieran Culkin is in this, and I think the best acting in the whole movie is at some oh, point yeah. he's sitting at a train station with Homer Wells, and they're talking about you know he's like, do you ever want to go find your parents? And Homer's like, no. And Sulky Culkin is like, I would, I would like to see them, and I would tell them that I can drive a truck and I can do this. I'd like to find them so I could murder them. <laughs> and then Homer Wells has no reaction, and then he, and then Sulky Culkin's like, I wouldn't really murder them. And Homer Wells is like. I know. And that's it. But I feel like that moment of, like, actual hostility and vulnerability in Sulky Culkin was, like, genuinely interesting. Yeah. But then the movie's like, let's go back to playing strings and showing you the beautiful New England sky. Well, that's a great example of things in this movie that don't go anywhere. Because yes. like, that's a really compelling plot point, and that could have easily developed into something, like, in Homer, <laughs> in Homer Wells' yeah. absence, like, he lashed out and hurt someone, and then... Homer Wells felt responsible for it, for knowing ahead of time and then not doing anything. Because, like, when he's leaving, you see Sulky Culkin sharpening a stick and yeah, stuff like this. Yeah, and refusing to say goodbye. Refusing to say goodbye and, like, not acknowledging what's going on. So I thought that that was going to, like, come to a head at some point, And then it just, like, it just never addressed. He's, he just becomes the new Homer Wells. I was expecting them to lay that on a little bit more thick, that Michael Caine would be like, now you learn how to do abortion, right, sulky yeah. culking. Yeah. yeah. I also felt like that was another moment in the movie where I was like, I feel like this is a film about moral ambiguity with characters who have no strong morality against which to compare moral ambiguity. Yeah. Because it's like, okay, so Michael Caine is an upright doctor and his son is leaving and he won't come outside to say goodbye to him. And I'm like, well, that's just kind of shitty. Yeah. You know, and I was like, so that's not really like a respectable thing. Like, you like... Like, having a sulk about something. Like, I just felt like he wasn't, like, a strong enough, like, I'm doing the right thing even though I don't want to kind of person. Does He's that make any sense? Definitely not that. He is, <laughs> I'm going to do what I want and then be kind of self-righteous about how it's the right thing. Yeah. I do think he is right to provide abortions. I do. Oh, and sure. also, I think his, like, arbitrary, like, 
resistance to the board wanting to bring on a new doctor has less to do with him protecting the abortion right and more him just being like, I just want to be in charge of everything. Yeah. And that the movie ultimately rewards him for that. Like the whole scene where he is talking with two nurses, which you said something interesting about them. Oh, yeah. Because I was looking out for moments where it passed the Bechdel test. Oh, sure. And like, I was like, it does at some point, like mm-hmm. later on, pass the Bechdel test. But I was looking at it for in the orphanage. I was like, oh, the two nurses never actually talk to each other. They <laughs> talk to Michael Caine and then Michael Caine talks back to both of them. It's very odd dynamic going on. And he weirdly so seems to be sleeping with maybe both of them. I, he's definitely sleeping with Cat. With I was going to say Kathy Bates. That's not the right one. Kathy, <laughs> someone, the person from Picket Fences. Okay. And Jane Alexander, who I thought was great in this movie, and I had forgotten she was in it. She's just one of those actresses who I love in yeah. everything. Kathy Baker. Gotcha. Yes. So Kathy Baker and Jane Alexander, definitely sleeping with Kathy Baker, maybe with Jane Alexander. Well, the thing I thought that was, like, so they have a whole scene where he is essentially revealing his plot to forge a bunch of diplomas and a medical background for a Homer Wells so that he can make him take the job that he wants him to take and the board will support him because he'll be a real doctor by having these fake documents. And the nurses are like, oh, bad plan, bad plan. And then it cuts to the next scene of them just supporting him and like not standing up for it they're sort of like well he's decided it so we're going with it and then again like when we were watching that similar to sulky culkin i was like oh this is gonna have a big payoff later and the big payoff is nice work lying to people it'll work out for you yes <laughs> yeah michael kane's character dies spoilers he dies thinking he did the right thing that he got homer wells the the new you know head physician position uh i don't know why i made that rhyme and then, then the movie just ends. But the reality is, he would probably get discovered and disbarred, or fined, mm-hmm. or something terrible is going to happen to his career. Yeah, and like abortions are illegal in the movie, mm-hmm. so they're like happening clandestinely. So I guess I just am kind of like I don't know what's going to happen to this Homer dude, and I don't know why we're supposed to root for him so much necessarily. Like I think part of the one of the plot points of the movie that we're supposed to feel bad for him is that Charlie is there and him in their relationship. She's like, let's just wait and see. So she never like commits to being with him or breaking things off with Paul Rudd. She's kind of like, this will do for now. And then he has like the big speech about like, well, if you don't decide, then I guess you don't have to take responsibility for my broken heart. And I totally lost my train of thought and what I was going to say. It just seemed like, oh, poor you. Oh, I know. Why you're supposed to root for him. I'm kind of like, like not to be materialistic or anything, but I'm like, you're an apple picker. Yeah. They just decided to pick some apples one day. You don't like any movies besides King Kong. <laughs> like, you're living on other people's largesse. It's true. Like, n- what? You, why is she going to be like, you know what? I am going to leave the man who owns the entire apple orchard and that I had an aborted baby with and knew before you. And for is this a brave day. Air Force colonel or whatever. Right, like, yeah. I'm a lieutenant, but lieutenant. still. Oh, yeah. can you say lieutenant the way you say it? Lieutenant? Yay! <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm not saying that, like, dance, monkey, dance. <laughs> I'm not saying she's got to marry the dude with money, but I'm just saying Homer Wells makes zero compelling case for himself at all in this entire movie. I agree. And I like that there is so little chemistry, though, between them. Oh, my God. Their boning scene. I turned about. I was like, did they have sex? Okay. So the the first scene where they bone, they're hanging out on a beach, which, by the way, I'm pretty sure isn't in Maine because it has a sandy shore. And I've never been to a beach in Maine that didn't. Also, don't run in the ocean in your leather loafers. You're going to ruin your leather loafers, girl. (laughs) Oh, those are boat shoes, though. They're meant to be. Okay. Yeah. Anyway. Guys, I used to summer in Maine. (laughs) 
So they're hanging out on the beach, and then they go into the forest, and he, like, hugs her from behind, and then it's definitely one of those things where she makes a face like, oh, you have an erection. (laughs) (laughs) Good acting. Yes. But decides to kiss him. They go immediately from, like, one awkward kiss to he thrusts into her. Right. She opens up his belt forcefully, and then she makes the face of, oh, you have entered me. Mm-hmm. And that's it. And I'm like, for someone But who, he's never had sex before. That's for, fair. But he also has, like, such a strong stance on abortion not based on anything. So I was like, is he fine with premarital sex? He talks about how he's like, well, adults should be making smarter decisions. And then he has unprotected premarital sex with someone who's in a relationship with someone else. Apparently in the book, this goes on for years and years. And in the movie, it's condensed down. And they have a baby together that is a secret in the book oh well that's just awful so i don't know <laughs> yeah i don't want to read this book oh guys. i'm not reading that no book. Dead, most movies based on books make me want to read the book this one had the exact opposite effect it was like right. i'm never going to read anything this guy's written he's a highly acclaimed author he sounds he just seems like he's trying so hard to write the great american novel and just falling at every hurdle and also that the great american novel is very much concerned with a well-educated new england man but it was very frustrating that charlize's character was essentially like i can't be alone and i'll have sex with you and lie here naked and like he talks about the only thing that homer says about like being in love with her is how looking at her she's so beautiful it hurts yeah like okay well what do you like about her personality like anything (laughs) it's just sort of like you got a nice ass Charlize does have a really fantastic scene acting wise she is the person who discovers that Rose Rose yes Uh, so in a very classic movie thing Rose Rose is throwing up in the morning Mm, (laughs) she's not wanting her breakfast that she usually wants does she have some sickness (laughs) this morning (laughs) What could it be? <laughs> All the men are confused. Because <laughs> she's the only female migrant worker with yeah. them. There's a very small team of migrant workers. It's like five guys. Yeah. yeah. So maybe it's a small apple farm. I don't know. Sure. I also don't really know how large your average migrant worker crew is. I'm the kind of person who's summered in Maine. <laughs> but Wouldn't anyway. you have seen them? <laughs> no, harvest is in the fall. Uh-huh. Although blueberry harvest is in the summer. <laughs> Back on track! <laughs> so anyway, Toby Maguire is like, Rose, Rose, how many months are you? And she's like, I'm turning the other way. She doesn't want to answer the question. And then Charlize comes up to her and is like, I was pregnant last year and I went to a doctor and he, he ended my pregnancy. So it's going to be okay. We can fix this for you. Rose Rose is kind of, like, not responsive. I'm upset. She keeps saying that she can't go. Because they say, like, we can take you to a place. And she says she can't go. And I thought maybe at long last the movie was going to pay attention to race in any way. Yeah. Because everyone at the orphanage was white. Yep. But they don't. That's not why she can't go. No. And Charlize says, do you know who the father is? And... Erica Body, who also does really good acting. She was great. She's great, yeah. They pushed hard for her to get an Oscar nomination. Ugh. I'm, like, I went and looked to see if she did other movies, because, like, she's right. so good she's in this. She's very good. And, like, that was another one where, it was, like, that role was not well written. And she and did very everything small. she could with it. She right. was great. Yeah. I, it would, if she would come back to acting, I would be delighted to see her. Yeah. I will, I'm like, the third thing, like, going back, the three things that I liked about this movie, Priority, Sulky Culkin, and then when she's all like, Homer Wells, I know you're in trouble already. Like, that scene oh, where yeah. she's kind of oh, like, yeah. I know you want to bone that lady, yeah. was hilarious and good. So, but yep. anyway, she kind of gestures her face towards Delroy Lindo, who's her father, and Charlize, like, you see the realization pass across her face, and and then she runs to get Toby Maguire because, you know, 
She needs a man. She needs a man. But anyway, the way that Charlie's runs and like she looks like she's going to throw up and like she almost collapses on the apple tree. I just felt like that was the best acting she does in this movie. Yeah, yeah that was the only part of the, that she had a reaction. Like she had that was like bringing out her character. Like right. she had a principle that had been violated and she was reacting to that event. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Everything else is just completely flat. So this is early enough in her career that I think that this was maybe a glimmer of, oh, yeah. Yeah. oh wow, this is a real actress who right. can really handle this kind of emotion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I actually thought that all of the women in this were really good. Erica Badu was great. Uh, Charlize did what she could with the one moment that she had. And I thought all the nurses in the uh, mm-hmm. orphanage were also very compelling and like performed extremely well, but none of them were given a- anything of any substance to work with. Right. Like literally all of them were there to be sounding boards or motivation for action by all the dude characters. Right. It was and, very strange. Yeah. And the other thing that I think that like just really was like the, the shit icing on a shit cake for me <laughs> was at the very end. When he, like, returns to the orphanage and everyone has not aged at all. All the orphans have stayed the same age, even though two years have passed. But anyway, they're like, yay, Homer's back! And then there was, like, a young orphan girl who, like, oh, wanted to make out with Paz him de la Huerta. Oh, yeah. Yeah. She had, like, obviously, like, come at him with her tongue earlier in the movie and he rebuffed her because he still had, you know, simple morals then. Also, now she is significantly younger than him. Yes. yes. But the movie takes the time to show you her coming down the stairs to, like, look pretty for him and them having meaningful eye contact in the way that heavily implies, don't worry, guys, they're going to have a relationship and he's going right. to be fine. He's not going to have to suffer through being alone. Oh, she's going to be old enough for him soon. I know. And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, like, I already didn't like this movie. And did you really have to reassure me that, like, the orphan girl has waited for him and she'll get her due by, like, staying with this dude? You know, she has no, she also, I mean, not that many of the other orphans have a lot of character, but at least we sort of get to know some of the orphan boys, like the garment bag boy. <laughs> Fuzzy. Uh, yeah. Which is a great name. <laughs> also, when he dies, spoiler alert, because you know as soon as he exists, he's going to die. Because yeah. they're like, he's the Fuzzy sickly. is sickly. We have to keep him in garment bag. <laughs> when he dies, they bury him. But he has the tiniest tombstone. Yeah. <laughs> and then they're like, let's not tell the other children that he died. Or let them ever visit the graveyard with his initials. That's on. why it's such a small tombstone. So they don't see it. Yeah, because <laughs> kids aren't low to the ground. <laughs> but then they do show Michael Caine's tombstone later. And it's normal size. Yeah. Because I guess they do tell the children that he died. But they use the same language. They say, whenever a kid is adopted, they say, like, let us be happy for Hazel. Hazel has found a family. Good night, Hazel. And they say that for Dr. Larch, even though I think they probably... They know the that, that he died, yeah. right? Yeah. I don't know. That orphanage is full of lying liars. So <laughs> who knows? <laughs> Just constant lies. Um, also, like, uh, this was, like, a weird part, but I loved the kid who was, like, really resentful that other kids were getting adopted. Curly. Yeah. Who has straight hair! <laughs> Curly, I just delighted in Curly, and when uh, Homer was driving away with strangers, Curly took it to mean that Homer had been adopted, and he was like, it's not right, you're too old! <laughs> and he sounded like a grizzled seaman when he said it, like, oh, how dare you go out to the sea, you're too old! Speaking of grizzled seaman, J.K. Simmons is in this movie. Oh, I wanted to say this was like the most teasery thing I've ever experienced yeah. in a movie. I saw J.K. Simmons like beautiful face turn around from a lobster, and I was like, "Yay, we're gonna get some!" And then he never has I any don't think lines. He, speaks. he doesn't. They must have cut something out. Even at the time, he was enough of an actor that he right, would yeah. normally say something in a movie. <laughs> <laughs> You're too old. <laughs> you can't eat a lobster. <laughs>
Oh my god. Uh, <laughs> guys, guys, very important question, since we're yes. talking about delightful people you didn't expect <laughs> oh, in this goodness. movie. Who should Keanu Reeves play <laughs> in The Cider House Rules? Go for it. Great. Uh, it took me a long time when I was thinking about this before I remembered that bland Tobey Maguire could be replaced. And I was like, oh, like, that giant hole in the middle of the movie could have been filled by someone else. But I'm not going with that. Uh, I'm going to go with... At the cider house, there was a strange, angry old man who sort of worked there, and all he did was stand there and be like, I'm mad at everybody. <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah. And then they have some line like, oh, once you get to know him, you'll want to stay away from him more. Like, he was just a weird, angry farmhand. He drives the truck. They Ugh. pick the apples, and then they load up the truck, and he drives the okay. truck, and he is upset with how they load the apples. Well, I'm going to cast Keanu as the old <laughs> angry driver, because I would hate for him to have to spend one minute more in this terrible movie than he has to, and also, I think it would be funny to have this, like, strikingly handsome Keanu be like, ah, get the apples in, right? <laughs> <laughs> you almost hit my finger! <laughs> That's what he sounds like, guys. Okay, Bob Shields. <laughs> so, um, I also was considering replacing, if we could get, like, young, baby-faced Keanu yeah. to replace Tobey Maguire, and that would be great, because it would just be extra charming seeing how everyone loves him in the orphanage, like, for, yeah, the first, for the first 25 minutes. But I think the most obvious answer is that he would replace Paul Rudd. I agree. Because, A, he's more compellingly charming and generally handsome and dashing. I think we're the only three people in America who think that Keanu Reeves is more charming than Paul Rudd. <laughs> but I do think that. But I don't think we're wrong. Yes. I do think that. But I feel like this is, like, the biggest hit to our cred is that uh, we love Keanu so much. But we do. Also, like, here's the thing about Paul Rudd, and I I think he's very charming and very delightful, but I was, at some point I was like, well, maybe Paul Rudd should have played Tobey Maguire, but much as I love Paul Rudd, he plays the exact same character every time. He's like, I am charming, and I'm Paul Rudd. Say what other idiots might say about Keanu's acting ability. Correct. Uh, He has played a variety of roles. He has range. He does, and he is more charming than Paul Rudd. So, I kind of want to see de-aged Keanu, like, baby Keanu as Fuzzy or Sulky Culkin. Oh, that would have been good. I, Keanu as a child Keanu actor. Keanu in a garment bag. Yes. It's not actually a garment bag, it's his breathing apparatus, but it really looks like a wedding dress came out of it. Yeah, it does. Oh, that would be good. Speaking of wedding dresses, oh. Charlie's poor eyebrows are still so thin in this. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, speaking of wedding dresses, the only thing she's allowed to say that makes this pass the Bechdel test is she talks to Rose Rose uh, about giving her clothes. I yes. guess they also have the abortion talk. But uh, at some point, it's just like all they're like, hey, Rose, we've got clothes for you. Yeah. Um, and I feel like that's the only time the movie ever hints that class maybe exists. Yeah. But let's not talk about it. Let's just have a swell of strings again. <laughs> Colin was so upset. He's like, Slavery is illegal in this, right? Like, he was confused about the time period. Yeah. Mm. Because the migrant workers essentially live in slave quarters. Yep. Right. And he was like, why aren't they judging the family more for treating their workers this way? Yeah. Because no one gets judged for anything in this movie. Nope. Nope. I, I mean, so I did want to say there's one part of the movie. So it's obvious that not only... That, like, finally Charlize and Homer know that Rose Rose is pregnant with her father's kid... 
But they make it obvious that the other migrant workers know. that It's sort of like an open secret that people know that he's been raping his daughter. Yeah. And then there's a scene where they all sit down and eat together. Mm-hmm. And it's uncomfortable. And I sort of liked that scene for making it normal in a way. Where it's just like, oh, this horrible thing happened, but we still are living a sort of like, how can you have a normal life when we all know that this is going on? Like, so that's like John Irving's jam, is my understanding. Yeah. Again, having only read one of his books and seen several movies based on his books, it's like, he's like, the world is horrible, terrible things happen, and yet we all muddle through. And I felt like that, this was them grasping at that, and not successfully achieving it, and then like, completely moving on to sentimental maudlin crap, basically, afterwards, of like, I'm in the rain, I'm so sad! (laughs) Oh, one thing that was fun is we watched this during a rainstorm, and there was thunder intermittently in real life and in the movie, and I kept (laughs) saying, is that our thunder or their thunder? (laughs) In the Cider House crew, we have Mr. Trick from Buffy the I was very excited to see him. And Heavy D, who apparently had an acting career. I thought they were actually really good. I thought they were really charming. I feel like the movie did, like, at one point, they were like, oh, it's weird that this strange Homer Wells kid is going to live in essentially slave quarters with us. But then they never talked about it again. They seem to just be like, okay, fine. They're like, sure, (laughs) you get a special relationship with the owners. They show Homer having dinner inside the owner's house, and they sort of, like, look through the window like they're matchstick girls, but the movie is just like, and moving on! Yeah, They exactly. have no interest in the race part of this movie. No one has anything Glossed to say about it. straight on over. Yep, just like all the women's inner lives. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so basically, I guess in the end, this movie is about boring, bland Tobey Maguire and Michael Caine. Oh, I gotta tell you, when you said earlier that Michael Caine was the connection between this and our previous movie, another one is that Lars Holstrom, who directed this, started his career as a music video director for ABBA. But yeah, no, I saw his filmography just shows like 500 things, like ABBA music videos. Yes. Um, so a thing that we have not really done too much, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna throw it on the table. Would this movie survive an iPhone? By which I mean, would the plot hold up if any of the characters had an iPhone? And I'm gonna say no, because Charlize could have FaceTimed with Paul Rudd. <laughs> I agree! Or Paul Rudd, the whole reason he is paralyzed is that he gets, his plane is shot down, but he's not injured. He gets encephalitis from mosquitoes while he's marching along the river for a month. Yeah. So he could have just been like, hey, what up? Michael Caine could have just passively aggressively texted Homer like a sulky parrot and been like, hey, hey, be in touch with me. They do have one of those movie scenes where the people are writing letters back and forth, Mm -hmm. but they edit it so they're having a conversation. Which, by the way... A lot of people really, really hate, but I will always love because I love the movie The Lake House starring Keanu Reeves. <laughs> oh, can't wait. But that would have worked a lot better if it was just passive-aggressive text messages. Yep. Yeah, that would have been fun, especially if they did it Sherlock style. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> would, it, would it have survived a prison riot? Would it be better with a prison riot? Right, right? Oh, yeah. so I don't know when you're going to fit a prison into this, but what about an orphanage riot? Because <laughs> I'd watch that. Yep. Oh, goodness. So isn't it just so interesting to look back and think about how, like, this movie almost won Best Picture? I know. That's ridiculous. I mean, it is a well-made movie. Like, everything about it is, like, everyone did a good job except for the guy who wrote it. 
Except for the guy who won an Oscar for writing it. Yeah. Did he win? It's the he won, won for Best Adapted Screenplay. Oh, God. So part of that, I think, was a Lifetime Achievement Award type of thing. For, for John Irving. For John Irving. Yeah. yeah. And then I think also when you find yourself in these two movies and a horse race for Best Picture, the uh, second game. place is a screenplay. Gotcha. Win. Gotcha. That came out very convoluted. Unless you're a Moonlight. <laughs> yeah, what up? That one both. Uh, but when Moonlight won Best Screenplay, we were all like, okay, yes. That's, we the that's its <laughs> consolation prize. Yeah. Yeah, so, and Michael Caine won Best Supporting Actor. Which, I think it was a legitimately good oh, yeah. role. My dad said at the time that, like, Michael Caine had kind of had a fallow period mm-hmm. since his previous Oscar win for Hannah and Her Sisters. Like, you know, he was like, phoning it in in a lot of things and so my dad was like they are rewarding him for returning to form and like asking Mm -hmm. him please be a serious actor again and then he did yeah so way to go hollywood way to correctly (laughs) emotionally manipulate your players yeah, this movie was very emotionally manipulative yes, anyway. Yeah. I, I, that's one of the reasons I'm struggling to place it, because it did get like a genuine emotional reaction out of me. Like, sure. seeing kids reunited and having fun throwing snowball fights and being appreciative mm. of Tobey Maguire. I was like, yeah, this generally yep. makes a tear well in my eye. But yeah, I, th- I think I'm being convinced to knock it further down my rankings. So where are you going to put it? So I was going to put it in between Italian Job and Two Days in the Valley, which would have made it my number three. Mm-hmm. But the, and the way I'm sort of dividing my list is movies I would recommend and movies I wouldn't recommend. Oh, that's smart. So this is the top of the list of movies that I wouldn't recommend. But okay. I honestly, now that we've talked about it some more, I'm like, I think I might think... Because Italian Job had no emotional reaction to it. Like, I just yeah. it was flat the whole time. But I wouldn't actively avoid the Italian job, whereas I might actively avoid this. So I'm like, I think I'm going to knock this down at one peg. It's still better than Eon Flux. Like, it's a better made movie, and it has that really nice kind of timeless quality to it that I like, like Shawshank Redemption does, or, you know, whatever. So I think I'm going to put it between Italian job and Eon Flux. Cool. So, Regina, this is hard for me, because... So Bob is doing whether or not he would recommend it. I feel like what is driving a lot of my rankings is would I watch it again? Which might not sound like a big deal, but this might be surprising to our listeners. I don't really like watching movies that much. <laughs> and I have like a very difficult time like rewatching movies in a way that I don't like rereading books. I like to do that, but rewatching movies unless you're Terminator 2 or John Wick or Pee-wee's Big Adventure. I don't necessarily want to do it. So I feel like in some ways like that is what is driving my decision and although this is definitively a better made movie than Children of the Corn 3 Urban Harvest. I think I might be more likely to watch that again than The Cider House Rules because that movie didn't actively irritate me from beginning to end. I was mostly like, I'm puzzled and bored and it's kind of funny and you can drink when you watch it. But like, I just don't know that this movie on a second watch would deliver any joy. But on the other hand... Michael Caine did say priority. <laughs> <laughs> and Sulky Culkin. And Sulky Culkin whittled a stick. <laughs> so I think by like the hair of its Michael Caine's delightfulness, <laughs> it's going to come in right above Children of the Corn 3 Urban Harvest as my second least favorite Charlize Theron movie. Okay, cool. <laughs> I really struggle with where to put this. Should I put it above or below Two Days in the Valley? And ultimately, I'm going to put it above Two Days in the Valley 
for sort of the reason that you were saying, is that there are a lot of really well done parts here. Whereas Two Days in the Valley felt a lot clunkier. I think I enjoyed watching Two Days in the Valley more. I think so too. But not enough more that I'm not going to put this ahead of it. So, uh, Italian job, you're in spot number two for a whole second week. (laughs) Uh, So this is going to be my number three. Anything else you want to say about Charlie's acting? So, talking about, like, the faces in her career, I think this was the first, like, prestige movie she did. This was the first Oscar Beatty movie? Yeah. Yeah, and she was, like, second billing, too. Yeah. Tobey Maguire, Charlize Theron, and then Michael Caine got the end credit. Right. Even though he is a much more important character. They needed to play up the love story for Oscar Beatty reasons, which is why she's second billed and why her face is on the poster. Right. All right, so... This sort of wraps us up, I think. I think so. so next week, it's my birthday. So Robin Woo! got to choose the movie. And I actually chose several things which got nibbed for various reasons. <laughs> and what made it through <laughs> the gauntlet <laughs> was... We're very rigorous. Yes. I, I really do want it to be put forth that I was like, let's watch Kubu. No. Let's watch Devil's Advocate. No. And what we got left with was... The Legend of Bagger Vance. Woo! Yeah! Happy birthday! <laughs> Just because I think it's going to be funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's another sentimental drama, so we're sort of keeping yeah. in a two movie th- two movies about cars, two movies about pulling your heartstrings. <laughs> cool. Nice. Excellent. All right. Well, thank you to Alex Reed for our incomprehensibly good theme song and outro. <laughs> We're always working to be deserving of that theme tune. Yep, it's true. Please follow us on Instagram at Charlize Theronathon and Twitter at Theronathon. Facebook at Theronathon. Find us on all the podcast platforms. Like us. Comment. Like us. Like us. Make some comments. Just validate us. (laughs) (laughs) Subscribe and all that stuff. (laughs) And thank you so much for listening. And as always, thank thank you, you, Charlize. Michael Caine just spread out in the bed like Charlize was, just gazing adoringly up at the nurse. No. (laughs) Old man. How dare you? (laughs) That would be great! (laughs) Why? (laughs) Why why would that be great? Have you seen young Michael Caine? I haven't seen his tush. (laughs) If you've seen young Michael Caine, you'd want to see his tush. Alright, pull up some pics. Regina, I... We have different taste in men. He's a handsome man. You're wrong. Keep going. <laughs> he's, he's a frog face. No, we only have one frog face. <laughs> Jeremy Renner? Yes. <laughs> Sorry, go back to what you're talking about. Yeah, I'm glad we added all that extra bit in. <laughs> <laughs>